Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast. I'm your host, DJ Pajowski. Uh, we're going to be joined today by Riley Johns and Keith Reb, who are two guys that have done a little bit of everything in the world of golf, uh, but are now really starting to make their names as architects and designers on a couple cool projects that we'll talk through. Um, I got to know these guys last year through Andy Johnson uh, at the Fried Egg and immediately became pretty fascinated with the way that they look at golf courses and, and kind of the industry in general. Uh, so excited to, to get a chance to talk with them. Uh, Riley's name might sound familiar if you've read issue three of the Golfer's Journal. Uh, I had a chance to go out to Alberta, Canada and uh, spend a few days with him out at his home and his home course, Banff Springs, which really was kind of one of the most fun, informative, uh, insightful trips I think I've ever taken. I, I wrote about it in the piece, but just walking around the golf course with guys like Riley and Keith kind of changes your whole perspective on uh, on what you're seeing. They're, they start pointing out a million things you never would have noticed on your own. And it's just, it's it's really a pretty energizing way to, to look at courses the way that they do. Um, uh, there's no better example of that, I don't think, than the project they just worked on together uh, in Orlando, which is the Winter Park 9, uh, which you may or may not have, have heard a little bit about. Um, I used to live in Orlando. I played there about 100 times before they renovated it. And uh, they took this course. It was basically kind of a, a glorified pitch and putt in this incredibly historic, really cool setting uh, in, in downtown Winter Park outside of Orlando. And they just pumped it full of strategy and intrigue. And, uh, you know, I'm not exaggerating and saying it's, you know, it's one of the most fun rounds I can remember uh, kind of in recent in recent memory, just walking around there with with your golf bag and a couple beers and some music. And I mean, it's just it's it's everything that I really like about golf. We're going to talk through all that and a lot more uh, in what turned into a bit of a lengthier podcast, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, as always, we're made possible today by our readers, by the viewers like you, uh, who, you know, buy subscriptions and buy merchandise and tell your friends about what we do and, and have done so much to support the magazine and the podcast in the last year or so. Uh, thank you guys very much, as well as uh, thank you to our six founding sponsors of the Golfer's Journal, Scotty Cameron, Link Soul, Titleist, G4, Electric Sunglasses, and No Let's Gin. Thank you all so much for everything you do to make the magazine possible. Uh, so without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Riley Johns and Keith Repp. Well, um, so there was behind 5T, 6 green, and 7T. This is at Winter Park. At Winter Park, yeah. sorry, yeah. And um, we uh, we didn't really know what the easement from the train really was. No one really gave us a straight answer. And so we just pushed the limits. We're like, oh, let's just get as close as possible and try to, you know, the goal was to try to see if we could tie in to the train tracks and get turf right up to the tracks, you know, and like make it as in play as possible. We're like, we want the tracks in play, you know, full on. And, um, you know, so I was, I was pretty much tracking the dozer right next to Amtrak trains and Sunrail trains and the conductors were aggressively honking at me but i thought they always honked and that was a normal thing and then all of a sudden city got a phone call you thought they were kind of winking at you a well bit. I, I i was giving them one <laughs> yeah, of these yeah, right yeah. i was doing the honk your horn right. motion and i was like yeah i win i get it every time but um yeah we got we got the call that the conductors were concerned about construction activities on the golf course the next thing you know we had some head honchos come down from the uh I don't even know who is it from Sunrail, whoever owns the tracks, Amtrak, whoever it was. They're wearing the white hard hel helmet. Sure. They're wearing the the safety vest. They're wearing Suddenly you know everything got serious. For <laughs> yeah, <a moment. laughs> yeah, and they're and they're like they're wondering what we were doing so close to their tracks. Apparently, the easement's like thirty feet away from the tracks that we're not supposed to touch. Here I am, like within three feet of the train as they're <laughs> ripping by i literally can see people drinking like soft drinks in the window of the train as i'm in the dozer going like this so there you go that's the level you guys are going to uh, <laughs> to build a good golf course so they came and they um you know they first asked us what we're doing we're like oh we're you know we're building this new golf course we need to tie into the train and they're like, oh, cool. We love golf. And next thing you know, the whole conversation was about golf. And they're asking <laughs> us about the holes that we're building. And they could care less about how close we are to the that's, tracks. Uh, that's what ends up happening with golf more times than not, I feel like. If, if you can talk about golf, you can you can talk to any other golfer in the it's world. Definitely, it definitely bridges barriers between totally. different people. So yeah. it's... Um... Well, thank, uh, thank you guys for joining me. My yeah. guests today, as I mentioned in the intro, Riley Johns and Keith Reb. Uh, 
I don't know what to call you guys. Are you guys architects, designers, shapers? We just build golf courses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just we have fun. Yeah, building golf, generally, you know. generally uh, golf guys. So, uh, so let me start, uh, Keith. Let's start with your background a little bit. Um, I know you guys have very, you know, similar but different backgrounds and how you got into the industry and and uh, all of that stuff. So let's let's get all that stuff out of the way so people know uh, who yeah. they're hearing from here. Yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, I think over the years I've just it's been kind of exciting to see how many people take different paths into this industry. You know, they, they're either going to school for it or they've been in the dirt and they learn from other mentors and they, they grow from that. And for me, I never thought I'd be working in golf. It was never on the radar, you know, and I was doing construction, doing concrete work and I knew how to run equipment. And I interviewed at a local golf course construction company in Lincoln, Nebraska called Landscapes Unlimited. So I joined up with them, got sent out to Agar, South Dakota. First job, you're going to go out picking rocks with a five-gallon bucket. You know, that's <laughs> it, your first job. I mean, sure. you know, test you out, see if, if, if you can make it. And if not, you go home. And I fell in love with, with the architecture and the landscape and being outside in nature and and it caught me from that point on and then later down the road you know you you take a few jobs working with different architects and then you meet up i meet up with core crenshaw at colorado golf club and it kind of starts a path down a road <laughs> that i never thought i would ever be on and did you uh, did you play golf as a kid or what was your experience with the game and, and all that the only time I had any interaction with golf was in Falkton, South Dakota. My grandfather and all the farmers in that area built a nine-hole golf course. So everyone got together in that community that could run equipment, and they built this cool nine-hole golf course for the community, and it's still there now. And that was my first time just riding around the cart, but never had clubs, never. You know, I tried it a few times, but it just wasn't it wasn't in my blood at that point. You know, I mean, we all have our different paths, but it's the people that we meet on the paths, on the path that we go on the journey that, you know, makes it interesting. So Riley, what about yourself? You know, it was just same as Keith. Like I just kind of fell into the industry. I started off as the range cart guy, the guy that everyone hits range <laughs> balls at. You know, I have definitely done that. Yeah. I've, I've done both. I've been yeah. on both sides of it. It's uh, I, I kind of even from inside the cart, I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I get it. it. It's fun. Yeah. As being on both sides of that as well, I go. I've been there. I know I can actually hit range totally. balls at that kid. For I, sure. I've been on the other side of that. I, you know, I've put my dues in. Yeah. So I started off as that kid, you know, 13, 14 years old. You know, it's just for the golf. It's, you know, you're getting paid four bucks an hour. Like it is a slave right. labor. Like it was, but I mean, I got to go play golf with Ca- my buddies. Canadian dollars. We should mention. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Take, take 25% off that. <laughs> right. So I just, you know, did it for golf and, and hang out at the golf club. And, you know, I didn't even, I couldn't even afford golf clubs. I played right-handed for two years until <laughs> I found out I was left-handed. <laughs> but I Your held... scores drastically improved I, at that point. You know what? I figured it out. I, I held the club like a right-handed club, but swung backhanded. It's the most bizarre really? thing ever. But I figured out how to, how to navigate the golf course. Yeah. My buddies were just, they hated it because it's like <laughs> I actually could you know, keep up with them at, after the second year. But, you know, and then I got into maintenance, started off doing maintenance, uh, just cu- kept playing golf, and then I was maintaining golf courses. And then I worked in the kitchen on a golf course too. Worked in the, um, you know, in the in the kitchen doing cooking and, and working maintenance in the mornings. It was, you know, full, full day shifts. And then I got into uh, golf course uh, construction and, um, that's when I realized I, I didn't know really anything about architecture. It's like I didn't know golf course architecture was even a profession. That people went around trying to figure out how to build, make, design, create, plan golf courses. It was it was completely a new new thing for me. And I, just, I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I love playing them. I love. I think it's neat, neat maintaining them. And there's all these different elements to it. And so I. 
you know, I got a job with a golf course contractor and started following that path for at least a decade. And I learned every aspect I possibly could from different architects. That was a kind of neat thing is early on in my career, I worked for different architects, you know, so like, like who? So rattle off some of the names. Well, no, they're Canadian architects okay. so you won't know a single one of them, but it doesn't mean they don't know their stuff. Right. right? A lot of these guys uh, knew, they taught me things that, you know, I would never have learned through any book or through any shaper, through any contractor. Uh, I remember, I remember the first time I was asked to shape a green. It was in, uh, it was in Medicine Hat. We're building this golf course called uh, um, Desert Bloom. The architect Harold Pesechnik. You know, he's a great golf player. You're right. I've, n- I've never heard of him. Exactly. But I tell you what, you, you would love him. He's, he's, he's solid. He knows golf and he, and he understands, he understands the nuances. And so, and so, so, so basically he asked me, he said, just shape the flattest green you possibly can. Right. I go flat green, but greens are supposed to be <laughs> right. contrary. You got to remember this is now sure. like, this is like 2002 or something like right. the golf was still, Oh yeah, no, it's got to be an oval and it's got to be <laughs> like a potato chip and right. got, you know, an exit in the front back and, and, and left. So I didn't, I was kind of new at all this and, and I was just learning from as many people as I possibly could. And he's like, build it flat. I'm like, well, flat, why flat? He's like, well, for the sake of variety, you need at least one flat green. Right. Sure. And then, and this guy was, he was pretty cool. He, he's, he's an older guy, rip around in a minivan on site, like shirt off. Like he had a dog named Riley too. So the big joke is where's Riley? And he's like, oh yeah, he's shitting in the woods over there. And they're like, well, which one are we talking about now? And, but anyway, he was picking up all these rocks that I was shaping this green with, you know, I was, I was, I was shaping the green and these big boulders would come out and he would come and grab them and he'd start hucking them into the creek next to the next to the green and i was like what are you doing harold he's like he's like i'm trying to create the noise ambiance so that when people are putting on this green they can hear the trickle of the creek next to i'm like because i was like i could pick those up and get them out of here with a skid loader or something for you and he's like no no this is this, this guy's thought of everything exactly so i mean those are the little those are the little lessons you learn from everyone along the way that help build your knowledge on what golf course architecture is and you know, basically my career was just trying to get as much knowledge from all of these seasoned professionals as I possibly could and and just start building my own picture on what I feel golf course architecture is. Right. And, you know, I just pursued it and just kept going with it. And here I am today hanging out with you guys. Well, so you guys, um, you, you've kind of danced around it a little bit, but you've done some very, uh, some work that, that people listening to this podcast have definitely seen and played and and uh enjoyed and been frustrated by and experienced in all kinds of different ways so run me through kind of some of the the projects you guys have worked on the people you've worked with and some some places where people might have seen your work well i mean it makes sense for just keith and i to talk about where we met which was at cabot cliffs and that was the you know the first project that i worked on with a you know a company like Kuren Crenshaw, you know, I'd worked with uh, Tom Doak and the Renaissance guys, but um, having Kuren Crenshaw come do their debut course in Canada was kind of, for me, sure. the, the Canadians, like, I got to get on that project. <laughs> right. And and I was very fortunate to get the, the phone call from Keith. And, you know, that, that project has got a lot of tales attached to it and, yeah, and yeah. good times. You know, it's, a funny, it's a funny thing. So that second year, we were looking for some help. And I call up Riley. And then I call up Trevor Dormer, and I'm talking to these guys and trying to figure out, hey, can you, does, it, does it work out for you guys to get out here to come work? You know, I'm talking to them separately. And then I didn't realize, like, they knew each other. <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, we can get in the truck, and we'll drive out here. here we'll, we'll, we'll be here soon. I was like, we're fine with living. We know each other. We've been on other projects. So I was like, perfect. Let's get out here. For for Canada being like the third largest country in the world, it's maybe the smallest place I've ever been. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So well, you're just in Australia, so that's I think true. they yeah, take the good, cake that's there. That's a good point. That's a good point. So meeting Riley and Trevor and working together, I think we all hit it off. And that job at Cabot was very stressful. We were in a fine, you know, we had to finish that project in a small window so they could open up in a time frame 
that they needed to. If we missed a season, that means that they're missing almost two seasons. So it was a lot of stress on a lot of us. And, you know, we put our hearts and soul into that project and a lot of long days and into the night working and and shaping in the dark. Um, And to see it turn out the way that it did. And I think Riley, Trevor, and I, we all kind of ask each other, you know, if we had more time, would the golf course be better? Or in the the time that we had to finish it, what did that affect the outcome? And we all, kind of, I think we kind of look at it as, I think if we overthought it in the construction and building it, we, it might not be that, you know, we might've over overcooked it. It's kind so. of full of uh, first impulses. Almost mm, or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty important. I think for any artist, sometimes the, uh, you know, serendipity of just kind of, deadline and 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 forcing yourself to 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 move forward in a creative process sometimes creates things that you otherwise would have overthought and maybe you wouldn't have got as good of an artistic project it's kind of it's a weird thing well so you guys have both i don't know if you would say you got your start kind of doing shaping or that's kind of the bulk of of a lot of what your careers entailed uh start with keith kind of what's you know when you're going into to shape a green take me kind of through that process and i'm sure that kind of differs from architect to architect as far as following specific plans and being able to improvise on site and uh and that kind of stuff talk talk me through that a little bit well i mean working with bill what's so neat is when you walk around with bill and ben on a new site and you look at a green site a lot of times all we have is a green stake in the ground and this is where the green's going to be we don't have a detailed set of plans that says hit this grade plus two plus three minus three cut three it's a stake in the ground and bill will communicate to us. Hey, let's, you know, let's look at this. I want this green to kind of set up like this, but, but he also says, if something happens in the time that you're shaping that go with it, don't get locked in and then we'll look at it. You know, bill will never come to us and say, man, you guys messed this up. You know, what did you do? You know, I mean, this is awful. Why don't you, and you go back to the house for a week. <laughs> so and he'll be yelling that from his hot air balloon with yeah. a bullhorn. <laughs> the hot air balloon, you know. What I mean. are you doing? <laughs> so that I think I mean I think that's what and I'm saying I mean Bill's routing to actually find the location where that green is a it that's that's the main, you know, he takes a lot of that pressure off of us. But there are some greens that he might be like, I don't really know what I'm looking at here. Give me something to look at. We'll shape something in and then we'll come back and look at it. And then the thing with Bill is he doesn't get locked in. He doesn't have an ego to where he says, this is exactly what I want, but he brings other people on site and we all kind of collaborate and we throw things out. Well, what do you think of this? Is this work? And have we done this on another hole or things like that, that, you know, it makes you make, you feel like you're a part of the creative process of, of the golf course. And I think that's why these golf courses turn out. With Cork Crenshaw, we have a lot of creative shapers, and it's great learning from them. And Bill knows that why would I tell a racehorse to take the left hoof this way and the <laughs> right. right hoof? You know, you're going to let yeah. that racehorse run, and then you're going to see. And then I think that's the way he approaches it, and it's 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 fun. It's fun for us. I mean, Riley's first experience, I mean, I think seeing the freedom of being creative and never having someone that you're afraid when they're on site, like, man, are they, are they going to like what we did here? You know? And Bill's always like, Hey, yeah, this is really, really good. I'm really happy with this, but maybe we do this here and then you, okay, yeah, let's go with it. So, sure. uh, I know both of you have, have traveled, uh, extensively. Uh, Riley, I know that was, you know, I, I guess, let me back up actually. The, the reason, you know, I really wanted to do this is, is we have a pretty big feature uh, in the third issue about um, yourself and Banff Springs and kind of the connections and the differences that, that you have with that golf course. And part of that story and in, in kind of getting to know you and, and going up and visiting was, was hearing a bit about your background and, and kind of putting off uh, school and traveling and, and doing a, mostly surfing, it sounds like. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious kind of what you took away from that experience and, and kind of how it relates to how you look at the golf industry now. Does that all make sense? That was a long question. I mean, loaded question. Um, (laughs) 
definitely not thinking that deep, but I mean, <laughs> so my thought always, you know, I, I love asking people that are older and wiser than me advice. Cause I find that it just helps me understand how I could, you know, some of the, the choices I can make in my life sort of thing. And so a lot of people said to me early, go traveling. Don't go to school out of high school. Go travel. Don't get locked in with a mortgage. Don't, you know, just enjoy this rare moment in your life where you're going to have freedom, real freedom. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Like yeah. freedom as, as like go. So I, I graduated when I was 17 and uh, bought a ticket to Thailand with my girlfriend at the time who was also 17. I don't know how our parents let us go to Thailand <laughs> for nine months when we're eight, you know, 18 years old, 17, 18 years old. But, you know, we, and I traveled a lot as, as a, as a child, my, my family's, you know, big, big traveling family, but I wanted to just go see the world. I just wanted to experience things. I wanted to party i wanted to surf i wanted to just do all of those things that that we all kind of dream of and so i just went for it and we went to asia you know southeast asia did all that and i came back and i was very lucky in canada the uh, golf course seasons allow you to work in the summers so a lot of my summers you know this is when i was working now as a in a golf course construction uh, type setting and so i'm i'm working you know, May until October every year. And then the winters would hit. And, you know, depending on the seasons, it's generally you got six months of work. And then it's like shuts down and everyone's like, right. good Stays luck. Inside. Yeah, like, uh, we'll see you next season. And they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? So I was like, I'm, instead of just continuing to work, I'm just going to travel. It's cheaper to, you know, take off overseas to some of these third world countries, be a surf bum and enjoy and, and just check out some places. So that's what I did for until I was like 24 or something. So I did it for like six, seven years. <laughs> There's so going to be a lot of envious people that are going to listen to this podcast. So I, that. You, I, you posting up in a van for two months just uh, reading books and surfing is is a pretty uh, it's a pretty ambitious, enviable thing. It was, it was pretty neat. And, and, it was, and for me, it was really neat to see different cultures, different places, different landscapes, you know, everything from hiking up the base camp at Nepal to, you know, living in Australia to living in a bungalow in, in Indonesia to, you know, Central America, South America. And, and that's kind of what I did in my winters, my off time. It was, it was work in the summer, have a good time in the winter. And it was a good lifestyle, but it, it got to a point where I was like, okay, man, you need to figure out, <laughs> Time, yeah. you, you, you can't, you can't be that old dude that you <laughs> keep seeing at these places that is like, you know, partying at 45 years sure. old and just like, just washed up and just, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go to school. Like I gotta, I gotta figure out what I want to do. And I was loving golf. I was getting on some really neat projects and all the architects and, and people that I worked with said, you got a talent for this. You got, you got, you got something, go with it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I went to university of Guelph and got my landscape architecture degree and started to settle down a little bit for the traveling. And, um, that's kind of when I got a little bit more serious into golf course architecture and started to really dive deep into the classics, you know, reading about all these golden age architects learning about the theory of design in just a general sense, uh, practicing my graphic communication, just just working on my skill sets other than running a bulldozer and, a, and an excavator because I knew that that was an important tool, but it was only one tool. And I, I wanted to really try to get as many tools as I possibly could to just be successful. And that was kind of my main goal. And, and the rest kind of just fell into place from there. Well, you, you mentioned something... Uh earlier when we were kind of talking about your last credit that you had to, you had to lock in and it kind of ties into that. I'm just curious if you could kind of recount that story a little bit. So, uh, I really wanted to learn from a golf course architect who had on-site prowess knowledge, did more of a hands-on type architecture. I knew I wasn't meant for an office. I knew that right away. I was like, I cannot, I cannot be in an office crunching on plans and and proposals and all that i'm gonna go you know mad but 
you know, I, it was actually interesting um, to go back to at the beginning of the podcast when you asked how we got started and all this. And, you know, it's such a tight industry and such a small industry. You know, before I went to school, uh, Rob Collins and, and myself and Trevor Dormer were on working on the same project together in Canada when he worked for Gary Player. I was shaping on that project. What, was, what project was that? It, it was, was Wildstone, okay. which is in Cranbrook, Canada. Okay. And this was right before the recession. I think 2006, 2007 was kind of at the height of, of um, you know, it was a bit of a golf boom, I guess you could call it. And, and um, we all met back in the day, you know, what is that, ten, over a decade ago now. And we hung out and, 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 and partied and we're building golf and it was, it was fantastic. But he, he said to me, because I told him, I said, look, I'm going to school after this project. Um, and he's like, I think that's fantastic because he'd done the same route. And he's like, look, you should you should check out Tom Doak and what he's doing. You know, I think he was doing just finished Cape Kidnappers at the time. And he was, you know, he was, he was becoming a lot more of a, a known household name in the golf world. And he happened to live between where I lived and, you know, Canmore to to uh, Guelph and along the way so what I did was pretty much every time I drove to and from school every season because I I didn't move out there full-time I would go to school come back home do golf course stuff and then drive I drove back every time he was along the way so I'd pop in and knock (laughs) on his door and say is there any opportunities for you know a young Canadian north of the border and he's like not at this moment but just you know keep trying back and so I literally knocked on his door a couple times on my trip back and forth and um you know eventually he said i got a project if you're interested in have you ever been to china (laughs) 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 it's kind of how it went and basically i had finished school i was knocking on his door and hounding him via emails for about four years so I started off early. Basically, so yeah. doing the math, you must have basically just put off graduating at I'd this point. Put off graduating for almost three years <laughs> just to get that internship. <laughs> and I was, I was pretty, um, pretty bent on getting it. And it worked out. And, you know, timing, timing is everything in this world and this industry especially. And it, and it worked out. And I had the most amazing uh, experience with Tom, uh, his associates, you know, working over in China you know, going on consulting trips with him, working out of his office, living upstairs in his office, <laughs> you know, and hanging out with Dom Plasic, you know, playing music, cranking out plans and just, you know, getting that office experience, but not from a firm, you know, cranking out perspective. Right. Yeah. And so that for me, and I'll be forever in debt to Tom for, and, and Don and Eric and all those guys that helped me out, they, they really helped me fill that little void that I just was missing between, you know, school on-site experience and in, you know, in the field experience. And they, they just really helped bring it full circle for me. Yeah. I think, I think that's the one thing that you can trace back. There's, there's these people in our lives that will step in and teach us and are willing to teach to, to keep that generation of learning. I mean, keeping it going. You which know, is a, which is a weird neat. kind of fine line because it's a pretty competitive industry with so it, it, few it, golf courses being built and you know. And but all if that if you show interest and you show respect, and you show that you have the drive and and that you'll go, you know, you'll get in the dirt and you'll work hard. People will see that and they will give you the opportunities to move forward. But if you get out there and you say, "I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to get in the dirt. I don't want to work hard." you're not going to get the opportunities. People are not going to go out of their way to throw you on a dozer or say, Hey, after this project, why don't you go check out this project or why don't you help us? You know? And that's what's, I mean, that's what's so neat. I mean, I, I know for myself too, I, I owe so much to the people that have, I've met like Dave Axelin and that have given me the opportunity to take it to the next level and let me learn and let you throw you in the fire a little bit and let you see how you, but you got to start at the bottom, but you right? got to stop at the bottom. Yeah. You got to start at the bottom. There's no shortcuts. Yeah. You pick, can't pick and rocks in yeah. the bucket. Yeah. You got, well, yeah. let me ask you this. How long does it take to rake a par five? Oh my gosh. By yeah. hand. What do you think? 
Uh, so what are you just raking for big rocks and kind of rake them in the little piles and then you scoop them up in the buckets or, or, or in a machine and then you truck them off from there, but you have to rake the whole par five from T to green. I mean, I don't three days. Took five. Okay. I was worried I was going to be yeah. off by like a week. Yeah. 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 Uh, jeez. Well, Keith, I know we kind of talked, uh, you kind of mentioned, you know, being able to kind of bootstrap and doing a lot of decisions on the fly. I know you've told me a lot of stories from being down in Tasmania, working on kind of Barn Boogle Lost Farm uh, sort of crew. I'm just, I'm curious, you know, it's one thing to, to do something, you know, we're, we're sitting here in Winter Park, Florida, where you have kind of all of the, uh, all the comforts you could possibly need and, and everything around. Uh, Tasmania is a bit of a far cry. I haven't been there just a couple months ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious your lasting impression from, from that job. I mean, that, that was an amazing project, you know, and, and two, it goes to credit to my wife too. She, yeah. Did she, she travel with you at she all? Travel, she, yeah. She yeah. actually quit her job and we were living here in Florida. We figured out, we finished up uh Sugarloaf mountain and I was working at dormant club for a little while. RIP. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it definitely yeah. needs to come back. So after, after dormant club, I got on a plane and, and, and my wife and I, we both headed to Bridport. Tasmania, you know, never, we've never visited direct from Orlando to Bridport. Uh, well, we, we <laughs> made a stop over in Bandon for one day and then we went from there to LAX to, to band. I mean, we went, uh, LAX to Sydney, Sydney to Melbourne and then Melbourne to Lonnie Launceston. And then we got picked up by Sally Sattler. Um, <laughs> and we had, you know, we brought too many bags like yeah. we almost didn't i mean you're, fit. Mo- yeah, you're we moving yeah, there, we're moving there yeah we're moving there yeah we're moving there my wife quit quit her job we're we're moving to this place we've never seen <laughs> and we almost didn't we almost didn't have enough room when she came to pick us up from from the <laughs> airport you know there in, in in launceston and it just i mean What's so neat about the Sattler family? It's oh, it's almost like it would be an American story. Well, that's what I was going to say. So yeah. give a little bit of background on how the yeah. whole resort came together, and and for anybody who has you know never seen it, it's this gorgeous thirty six hole resort. I mean, it's probably fair to call it the the Bandon of Tasmania. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So you have a family that you know they've had their ups. You know they had a few downs, but they got this opportunity to do this golf course. And their family of what potato farmers, basically, right? Yeah, potato farmers, cattle cattle rancher yeah. and then they also ran a hotel in hobart so you know they had their challenges and they say hey let's buy this land here and it's everyone tells us is you can't farm it you can't use it for cattle but you know someone came to them and said hey you know why don't you build a golf course on this and richard took the risk and got together with some people and, and tom built an amazing golf course there and you know, that the success from the first golf course led to needing a second golf course and lost farm. Another similar abandoned story. Yeah. So, and you know, the whole thing, it's, it's about the family there at, you know, biz, Ollie, um, Steve-O and, and Penny, you know, the, the, the family is working and they're all part of, of the club. And that's what's so neat. You walk into the walk into the pro shop, or you walk into the, you know, they're running it, they're helping out. You see the family there, and they're involved. and And I just thought that was a really cool aspect. It's not a you don't see a corporation kind of running this place. And um, you know, Richard and uh, I was, it was just it was a lot of fun to go work in a community that you're making an impact. These people have to travel. If they want a high paying job, they might have to travel to the mainland and be away from their families. So here's the opportunity for them to work in their town and have pride in a gym in their community. So what was neat is that we, in the construction phase, we actually teach, we actually taught the, the laborers how to build the irrigation system or help finish. And then when they were done with all that, then we helped plant it. And then now when we were done with that, then now they're still there maintaining it, you know? So they have a long, they take pride and ownership of building it. And now they're going to protect it for years to come. You know, it's, 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 it's transforming communities 
And we saw that, Riley and I both saw that in Inverness too with, you know, Cabot Links and then Cabot Cliffs. These guys are saying, hey, I used to have to travel days to go work in the oil field, but now I can stay here and be with my family and work on a beautiful place and and be home. So I know that's a long-winded thing, but I just give so much credit to to Richard for you know taking that risk and saying, yeah, let's build golf. Well, especially as someone who wasn't a golfer at all. No, not not at all. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's you know, I mean, I think they say what is that? You know, he always says he's just a dumb spud farmer, but yeah, Richard Sattler is a genius, you right. know. And and he knew he could partner up with great people and 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 Mike Kaiser and everybody and they you know they got together and they figured out how are we going to make this work and it's it's a huge success and it's a lot of fun. I think that was when my idea of golf kind of changed because you, when you're there, you mm-hmm. could see the laid back feeling. Like if you wanted oh to go God, grab if you wanted to go grab a a beer behind the bar. You could just grab your own beer. Hey, just go grab it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll ring you up. And well, and that's where, uh, I mean, the way we were kind of talking about it was it, I, I know I keep bringing this up, but it has Mike Kaiser's fingerprints all over it from the way the restaurants are set up to the way the lodging is set up to all of these different things is everything is, it's exactly what you need and nothing more. And it, it is, you can tell that the resources are put into the golf, the architects, the shapers, everybody has what they need to, to make the golf courses. And everything else is just there to make you comfortable, you know, and, and, uh, I'm sure so much of that comes from, from Richard and the family as well. But, uh, you know, a lot of it I think has to come from, from Kaiser because there's, you know, it kind of runs, runs counter to a lot of what, uh, golf is. And I'm sure we'll get into this, you yeah. know, we talked through winter park a little bit too, but it's, it's just getting it to the essentials of, of what you need to have yeah. a really, really, really good time. And, you know, that sticks with you so much more than, Oh, the art in the hotel room was really great. Yeah, I exactly. It. I think too, what was cool too, is like Michael Jr. Worked at Barnboogle. Steve, Steve O'Sattler, he worked at, at Bandon, you know, so they actually worked at these clubs. They yeah. went there and they experienced and they had that impact, you know, of learning and then bringing that back to the, you know, so it's, it's not just a, it's, it doesn't really feel like a business decision it's like a what we what can we do best for golf or or this relationship you know it's it's a family right. <laughs> community um well um well changing gears a little bit uh riley i want to ask you you know i mentioned kind of issue three uh we wrote extensively we i i, I guess i don't know, wrote uh, extensively about about your home course banff and uh, so you, you know, for background, you, you still live in Canmore, in Alberta, which is where you grew up, which is what, 15, 20 minutes from, from Banff National Park and the golf course. Three hour canoe ride. Three hour canoe That's ride. How we, how we judge 15, distances up there. 15 Berta. minute drive. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, A, um, what it's like, you know, Canmore, probably not a, a hotbed in the golf architecture world. Um, but a what, lot of maple syrup, a lot of maple syrup. You'd be surprised. There. Actually, really? there was like four architects that lived in Canmore. Well, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I stand corrected. Yeah. Um, well, I'm curious, a, you know, kind of what it's like to be a little bit separated from kind of the, you know, you're not living in Palm beach or, or, you know, any of those areas that are typical kind of golf hotbeds and then B, uh, just what do you think about when you think about Banff Springs, I guess? Growing up, where I grew up in in Canmore, Banff, like it's the same. It, they're the same, right. right? My my parents worked in Banff. We lived in Canmore. It's just the town outside of the park gates, and 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 it's the same same thing. Everything you'd bike to Banff for the day, and but I mean, for me, growing up in that particular spot in the world was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. Not just from from a lifestyle perspective, and and a small town, and you know, I'm still friends with. As you saw at the Broken Club Classic, right, you came. Yeah. I'm still Re- friends with like story. 15 guys from sure. my kindergarten class. It's really bizarre. But I mean, we don't have any reason to leave. We love that place. We love everything about it. But from, from the golf perspective, living in that area was so informative on what landscape is, what landforms right. are, what how does landscape erode with time? How does it form? How does it what's a natural looking feature right 
So I had a ton of experience. You know, it's funny because I remember when uh, when I first got to Tom's office and we were looking over contour maps of of p- potential projects and you know he's like do you know how to read a contour map I'm like I've been reading contour maps since I was 12 when I'm hiking <laughs> in the mountains trying to discover that hidden waterfall that we could see on it you know what I mean so for me that was like second nature which I thought was kind of bizarre I would you know I was like of course I know how to read a contour map that's imperative to living <laughs> right. in the mountains you know what I mean but to see how ravines look naturally, to see how water erodes banks, to see how just how everything fits in in a natural environment has really helped me look at golf in a different way because I'm able to see I'm able to see features, landforms, and build them at least I think build them in a way that they would have formed naturally, which I think is a, a big key to shaping. I think. Mm-hmm you know you, you have to look at okay so if this big feature that we're building over here beside this green was a natural feature how would it have eroded over time how would it have settled in how how would the wind have affected it and how would the you know the trees and how would we make this thing look natural so i have this this baseline of what nature is that I feel very fortunate to have that I think people that live perhaps in the city can only get from books or from reading. For me, I was running around in the forest as a kid building forts, <laughs> you know, playing and all this stuff from day one. So for me, it's very natural. Um, Bamp Springs, to go to your second question, is an, for me is, is one, and the more I study it, and the more I play it, and the more, you know, I've played this golf course my whole life, but it just keeps giving to me. It's, it's, for me, the genius of it is so layered that it takes every five years. I feel I I learn something completely new about the place that I never thought of before, and that for me was the hook that got me in the golf course architecture. Going, that's a beautiful golf course, beautiful views, mountains. Right, that was hook number right. one. Right, I mean, okay, that's pretty superficial <laughs> when it comes to golf course architecture, but it's important for people right views and, and that and experience but then i started getting into the routing the different kinds of golf holes the the way he routed the sequence of holes and you know banff springs golf course for me is one of the most amazing routings because it's a links routing in the mountains the original routing was nine out nine in uh, the nine out started off at the old wall house there uh, in the Banff Springs Hotel, very Scottish-style hotel. That hotel is actually based off of a castle <laughs> that was built at Banff, Scotland. Or, you know, the ward off the Vikings back in the day. So it's like, so there's your like your most core connection to golf right there. But then you tee off and you and you start heading east, and it's nine holes out, and the wind's at your back. And at the apex or the at the corner where you make the turn, right? You call it the Eden Hole and, and at St. Andrews. Right. That little corner is, you know, the the Devil's Cauldron and then an amazing par four and then another par four and then you're heading back. And now you're heading into the wind. And you have water, the Bow River, all on your right side, which is the equivalent of the ocean. And so now you're playing your nine home holes and it's into the wind and the holes that stanley thompson designed were both designed to be the ones outward with wind at your back and the greens and the features are designed specifically for that and the and the wind at your in your face that when the fans in your face the holes are designed exactly for that as well because the winds are very predictable and down coming down the valleys and i actually get funneled through tunnel mountain and rundle mm-hmm. and and those are some of the things that, you know, I, I kept learning about and learning about. And, and then also just how he built the place construction-wise. Just how big of a feat that was for, you know, architecture and golf course in the nineteen late 1920s. And those are the kind of things that really got me more and more interested in golf course architecture. And I try to use that as my inspiration for learning more and always drawing on those 
those masters from the past because they knew something that I think a lot of us may have forgotten. And I'm really interested in knowing more about what that that is. Well, it's funny that you you mentioned it like that. So I kind of tried to my biggest takeaway in, in kind of writing the story and talking to you about it and talking to other people about it and reading more about it and, and learning, you know, like you said, kind of trying to learn as many of the nuances as I can was uh, from a, you know, looking at kind of how it's changed over the last hundred years, hundred, you know, you know, it almost kind of runs counter to a lot of uh, your own principles or what I've kind of gathered to be your own principles. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, changing the routing to put in a new clubhouse and a driving range and, and all of those things and changing, you know, basically taking a lot of these uh, architectural principles and changing them for all of the things that, that make modern golf uh, a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. And I'm curious uh, how, you know, A, you feel kind of when you, you look at that stuff and B, uh, you know, kind of what that says about where golf is heading and, and, you know where it's been and and where it's going to be going in the future. That I think it's sense. more of a, I think it's more of where it's headed and yeah. where it's he, you know it's I think I'm, I'm hoping that's a past tense. You know the 80s and 90s it is what it is, right? There was different pressures on golf, there was different tastes in golf. People wanted different things and perhaps we overlooked how amazing some of these older courses really were. Because we had a different, we're looking through a different lens and it's easy to look back in time at those lenses and judge now, you know, 2020 hindsight, but it is what it is. It's done. They did it for, you know, they changed the routing about for specific reasons, things like parking, things like the walled house just couldn't host the amount of people that wanted to play Banff and they, you know, they wanted a driving range. People wanted driving ranges. They needed to warm up all of a sudden, right? All these, all these things that were in trend, they're, they're the trend and people thought they were making the right decision. So it is what it is. Mm-hmm. When I play Banff, I seriously do not even think about it in the current routing. I feel like I'm teeing off on the fifth hole. <laughs> and, and that's how I think of the golf course. Right. When, when we played and we're going back on, you know, to, the, the, the par five heading towards the, Bam Springs Hotel. Mm-hmm. I'm playing the last. I'm playing the 18th <laughs> right. hole in my mind. It's yeah. not. It's I, you know. It's so me for me, having studied the routing of Bam Springs Golf Course historically, I am playing that golf course. I'm just starting off on the you know fifth sixth hole, and I'm and I'm playing and I'm and mentally I'm playing it the original routing, and I can, I can sense and understand the the, the flow, that Stanley Thompson tried to put in that golf course back then so i'm able to just overlook kind of where how how we start and how we end today right yeah it's uh it's a weird it's a weird thing too and and i don't know really the right way to explain it other than to kind of try to we talked about this a little earlier but trying to kind of compare it almost to pebble beach in that it's it's one of those places that if you're a purist you know you're looking at oh oh my god this place is great but what it could be is just even better. And that's, you know, the routing is part of that, but it's also the way the bunkers have been edged into oblivion and the way that, you know, they've kind of shoehorned in the, the first hole is, is now a brand new hole that doesn't fit with the rest of the golf course and, and that kind of stuff. And, and if you're, you know, a, an architecture geek or you're just a golf geek in general, you're looking at that stuff and kind of thinking like, you know, how good could this place be? And then if you're an economist or a, anybody with any more business sense than myself you're looking at it as well we've got a t-sheet full of people paying north of two hundred dollars all day every day so i you know what you're saying is admirable but yeah thanks but no thanks we're going to leave it as it is and it's uh that's where i think you know part of the the piece that i wrote i think there's there's a little tinge of of heartache in that i think but it's almost heartache from the sense of well, there's you know just not much you can do. That's just kind of the way of the world. And you got to remember, you're you're looking at this through the lens of what it could be. Right. Not. I don't think ninety percent of the people play that. I would say ninety five percent of the people, my ninety nine percent of the <laughs> right. people don't ever think that. Totally. They are not looking at what this place was or could be. Yeah. Sim- simply, they are loving what it is, and it's amazing how you could make these changes to a golf course and it's still that good, right? right just totally. that, I think that's a testament to how good that golf course used to be and still is. 
but I don't think people are thinking the way we are thinking right now. And I think they still enjoy it for what it is because it's a spectacular journey in the mountain environment and the golf holes are all world fun. Well, so I think that's a good transition into, uh, you know, the reason I'm down here right now, which is the winter park nine, uh, the first kind of design that you guys have, have worked on together. And so I guess kind of building off that, I'll start with the question, you know, what is it about golf course design that you wish people noticed more to, to both of you guys? What is the thing about golf course architecture? We wish people noticed, what, what do you guys, noticed more. What are you guys really working on really hard that you feel like is kind of going under the radar? I, w- I would say for me, I think I would really like people when they stand on the tee to ask themselves what side of the fairway is going to give me the most advantage. Right. Right. That's center is, is sure. That's fantastic. Hit it down. And golf's hard. We, it's, (laughs) I'm I'm saying like, you don't get to choose those things, but think about it. Think about what the land is telling you, what the angles of the bunkers are telling you, you know, the opening of the green, the way the green is sloped. Uh, the way that you, there's kicker slopes onto the green, or maybe there's slopes that repel you from the green. Whatever it is happening out there, I would say ask yourself, what's going to give me the easiest route to this hole, this particular hole? Because it depends on the pin location too, right? And I think once people start asking those questions on every tee, I think they're going to find that they're going to be able to unlock some of these holes that they have trouble with. And, and they're actually going to enjoy the game more and start playing what, what everyone hopes they play is strategic golf, not, you know, blast it down the middle and try to flop it on and try to brutally attack and just outpower every feature in bunker. Bunkers aren't there to punish people. They're there to make you think, you know, and, and, and I think people need to realize that that's, that's the core of golf course architecture is to make you think. So what, um, Describe, uh, Keith, I'll start with you. Describe Winter Park for for somebody who hasn't seen it before. Well, it's it's in the heart of Winter Park. You know, you go down Park Avenue and then you get to the end there and there's Winter Park Golf Course. You know, your first, there, there's the putting course, the back nine that you first see, and then you take a right and then you drive down one and then you get to the clubhouse. And, and these are, for someone who hasn't seen, these are cobblestone streets yeah, and co- old yeah, buildings. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's in the middle of a, it's kind just, of a yeah, old school downtown. Yeah. Very historic yeah, feeling. Historic yeah. feeling. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I think that it has the most culture for me that I look at in this, in this area. Winter Park's just got a, got a neat, neat feel to it. And, and the golf course, now represents what winter park is before it was just a slowly dying golf course that was neglected and it wasn't no it wasn't any fault of the superintendent or anything like that it was it was time to do something and and they chose to to make the move and it's so what you guys inherited and we'll we'll kind of get into the project a little bit but what you inherited in having lived uh in Orlando for a couple of years, I, I played Winter Park probably a hundred times before you guys even touched it. And so uh, I'm very familiar with it and, and how it's changed. But what you guys basically inherited was a, you know, nine hole, what, about 2,000 yards, 1,500 yards, something like Their that. Their scorecard wasn't even accurate. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> something yeah, like that. Start with that. An incredibly yeah. short par 30, 31, something like that. Their scorecard wasn't accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the uh, accurate that, yeah. you know, didn't yeah. have any land movement to it, didn't have very no, interesting was, green complexes, didn't have really much going on at all. And It was the postcard for neglect, yeah. basically, yeah. is what it was. It's it was just, it was a polo field. I mean, right. it, was, it was flat. Yeah. I mean, there was no movement. The bunkers... I think over years they just said, "Oh, we'll just keep on topping up more sand," and the bunkers become became almost like volcanoes. Yeah, you right. know. And then a lot of them look like it's just someone sod cut a circle, and it was just the sand there. I mean, even the greens. I mean, they were so small. It was bizarre. It yeah. was bizarre to see a golf course. And I mean, we've seen a lot of golf courses in neglect, and you know lost in the sands of time but it's so weird to see a golf course actually evolve 
with decades of neglect, like Keith said, yeah. the bunkers were bizarre. There were so many bunker like, shots out of those things like over decades two, they were, that they were elevated. Yeah, they were like feet, above yeah, the two ground. Two feet above. So your ball would actually have to run on the fairway, <laughs> yeah. go up the lip, and then get into the yeah, bunker. It was the weirdest thing. And the, it just everything about the place was just, wow. We're like, okay, this place has not been touched for like a hundred years. So what, when, when the kind of RFP goes out to, you know, bring in and, and kind of revamp the place, what was your, what were your main goals for it? I mean, our goal, that was very important for us to sit down and go, what is this place? What, what do they want? What is, not even what do they want? What just, what don't they even know about what they want? So we sat down we figured out our goals and objectives and we were, we, we actually labored hard on, on figuring that out because the city didn't know, right? They didn't know. They, they, they had an idea what they thought they were. But once you kind of get down into it, they actually didn't know what they were. And so for us, we, we really studied hard on, on that. We, we asked a lot of people in the community. We did a lot of research historically. We, we took a look at old aerials. We just took a look at what was going on in Winter Park. And we kind of came up with... This is a community hub. This is on Main Street. This place is a city park first and foremost. And it's a golf course. It's a it's a city park with pin flags. Yeah. And it's for it's every and it's for kids. It's for seniors. There's Rollins College is at the other end of the street, so then you got kids that can golf. It's for and drink. Yeah, it's for, yeah, and drink, and it's for and it's for people that need a place to be able to afford golf, and it's and we started kind of just taking all of these ideas and we put our goals and objectives together, which pretty much stated that you know Winter Park is a community golf course that's supposed to be inclusive, affordable, fun, and something that should be enjoyed by all levels of golfer. I mean. Such a cliche to say that, but I mean, that was our goal because yeah. literally all demographics and skill levels would genuinely be playing this golf course, not quote unquote, you know, trying to test the the ace and the duffer at the same right. time. Just genuinely everyone played this golf course. So we had to reconcile that. Well, in, and, in, and that's what I think really shines through in the work is, you know, I think people can look at the the scorecard and and uh, it's funny. I played out there with Andy Johnson, the fried egg, the first time. Who's, I mean, an incredible shout player. Out. Shout, shout out, out to Andy. He's he's probably a plus three handicap, plus two handicap. And uh, I think he, you know, he's kind of licking his lips, showing up like, oh, I might go six, seven under going out at this golf course. And then, you know, I think he got just ejected on the first hole. You know, <laughs> you got these incredible yeah. green complexes out there and these these things that really make you think about where you want to leave your second shot and where you want to use slopes and where you don't. And, you know, like you said earlier, where you want to be playing from the fairways and all these things, even if the fairway is only 180 yards out there, you know, something like that. And, uh, so that's, yeah, that's, I mean, I guess it's not really a question. It's more of a compliment. It's just, that's, that's what I think really shines through when I, when I look at the place. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess leading into that kind of what has the, the feedback been from you guys or that you've received, um, we're, we're basically a year out. I know you've, you kind of shared just anecdotally, you know, some of the, the financials and stuff. I mean, the, the place is, it, it works. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> basically works. you, you create a place that's really fun to go play and you know, people are pretty into it. It actually it, works. It, yeah. Yeah. And it works. I mean, I think a lot of people will say the game is dying, you know, people aren't playing golf, but you just drive down park Avenue and you pull onto that golf course and golf is thriving at this place. It's packed. And you see, you know, young, old, and everybody out there enjoying a great round of golf. And people... 40,000 rounds yeah. in their first yeah. inaugural yes. year on yeah. a nine-holer. So, yeah. <laughs> the place is just crawling with people playing golf. It's crazy. It's phenomenal. So what, I guess, you know, I've kept you guys for, for plenty of time here, but what's we'll kind of end with, you know, what's the key to, to a project like this being successful, do you think? I think you need buy-in from everyone involved. You just need, whether that's the city or the, you know, the third-party suppliers and contractors that you're relying on or the people that are going to be doing the work. I just think you need everyone to be 
bought in on the same page, on the same wavelength, working together to, to, to achieve this goal and then just have fun. You know, yeah. it's, 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 I've always said the, the more fun we have building golf, yeah. The it more fun the, it plays. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's it gets just in simple the, as that. It gets <laughs> into the DNA of the golf course. Yeah. And, and again, I think I want to, I would like to say too, I mean, that's, I think that's something going back to Cabot Cliffs. All of us had a lot of fun building it, even though it was a struggle. But then you see where that golf course sits in the rankings. And I'm not, I mean, but everybody on site had fun. So, you know, number nine golf digest in the world. I mean, I think it's to say something. I mean, you can go to golf course and you can kind of tell, you know, the guys didn't have fun building it. They were ready to get out of here. They were ready to get on to the next one. And I just remember that last day of finishing number nine green at winter park. And we're getting ready to plant it that next day and sitting down there at the bench. And I'm just kind of like, man, this is, I wish the golf. I wish Winter Park had another nine. You know, or <laughs> let's go back and let's, you know, because it was a blast. It was so much fun, you know, working with Steve Leary, the mayor. You know, you, anybody in the city, you look forward to having that interaction with them, and, and and it just made it a fun project. They trusted us. They let us move. In in other cities that would put up roadblocks constantly and i think that's what's really neat <laughs> and, I, and i think the coolest thing is and you know the reason that we're hold we're down here is we're you know it's the golf course is only a year old just or just over a year old and we're here to make sure that things stay on track and and we're helping the city because you gotta remember the city of winter park is not a golf course management company right, right? you don't they're this is new to them this is they're not used to having people call them and say i want to make tea times i want to book your you know book the whole place out for an event you know all these this is all new for them so we're down here to help them with the next phases of of the success and part of that was they had a fundraiser and for their new library that they need to get some money for and they had this huge event live band they had had beer on like every other hole in the golf course. They had a scramble. You had every age group and it was all to fundraise money to build a new library in the city. So the golf course is now becoming a vehicle for city events to, to raise money for, for, for other community, you know, services and hubs and, and amenities. And, it was really neat to stand out there and just watch people. We didn't play in the tournament. We wanted to just watch everyone play. It was a very, you know, a shotgun tournament is a rare opportunity to just to, to sit and study how people actually interact right. and play in the golf course. And and um, it was amazing how many people ended up coming up to us and go, thank you, thank you. And they tell us stories like, yeah. I play out here every other night with my 10-year-old daughter or, you know, I came out here you know, I used to, I grew up playing here when I was five and what you guys have done here is amazing. Thank you. We play every Tuesday night. We have a three club match. We have, we play night golf. We, you know, we're booking this place for our event and it's just like this place is taking on a life of its own. That's the neatest thing yeah. for me. Yeah. I, I, I just go back to a funny story that Riley was saying that when someone came up to him and and didn't realize that he would, you know, that we were both the designers and everything and said, what do you say? He said, I didn't, I thought all designers were old guys. <laughs> yeah. There was this young guy and he's like, we're talking, we chatted for like 20 minutes about the golf course and he was telling me what he loved and, and just how cool it was. And he was a member at Orlando country club. He was a member at a few clubs in the area and he's here playing winter park nine, telling me how much he's enjoying just the quirkiness and fun factor. The fun factor is what they don't get at other clubs, right? It's tons of half pars out there. It's, 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 it's the greens are just wild for these, you know, for these people. And anyway, so this young kid is like, we talked for like 20 minutes and, and then, uh, and then, and then he asked me what, you know, what I'm doing there. And I was like, well, you know, I help Keith and I design the golf course and we're just here to see how everyone's reacting to it and kind of get some information and, and help it go to the next level. And he looks at me and goes, you're way too young to be a golf course designer. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I thought all golf course designers were like really old. 
I'm like, well, if they were really old, they wouldn't be building something super cool like this. Yeah, I was saying. There, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, I mean, that I, it was it was so much fun to just see the golf course thriving and 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 continue to thrive. And there's there's improvements that they're gonna make, and they're gonna keep on investing in their golf course, and they're gonna get better and better. And that's that's. You know, it's really cool that they brought us out here to still be part of this. And I think, you know, with us still teaming together, we're going to create even a better golf course. So, Well, congratulations on uh, one year in the books. And thank you guys very much for the time and for the stories and for uh, everything. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. And, uh, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to do another one of these. Definitely. Sounds good. All right, guys.